Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Hey listeners, in this episode, you'll hear from Dave Winlin about DSCSA and how it affects pharmacies and pharmacists. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Dave Windland serves as VP of Strategic Relations at Hamaker Resource Group. Uh, Dave is a 27-year veteran of the consumer packaged goods industry and is passionate about optimizing results across the retail supply chain. He's been a sought-after speaker for industry conferences and is a frequent editorial contributor. Dave provides dynamic, thought-provoking presentations, idea-generating articles, and purposeful business guidance. As VP of Strategic Relations and one of the co-owners of Hamaker Resource Group, Dave has connected, counseled, and offered business improvement solutions to a variety of manufacturers, distributors, retailers, and technology providers with his bird's eye view of retail and fresh approaches to branding, he is able to assess and offer creative ideas to help companies of all sizes, whether they are market leaders or new to the industry. Dave, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Hillary. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. And now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro and maybe share a little bit about your personal life? Well, I, I certainly uh, am, as you mentioned, passionate about the pharmacy industry, and it actually goes back long before I joined the organization. My late father was the president of a pharmaceutical distribution company in the Wisconsin area, and literally, Hillary, we would sit at the kitchen table when I was a child, and he would talk about pharmacies, and he would talk about some of his best friends, which were pharmacists. And the only bad news story I have about that is I was living in California after graduating from college, and my parents had 40-yard line Green Bay Packer tickets, and he asked me if I wanted them. And I said, Dad, I'm living in California. I'm not going to come back for any games. And he gave them to a pharmacist friend of his. Ten years later, I moved back to Milwaukee and really wished I had had those tickets. <laughs> That's a fun story. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. Um, well, we'll go ahead and kind of get started here because the topic uh, for today's conversation is going to be all about Drug Supply Chain and Security Act, or DSCSA. So for our listeners out there who might be unfamiliar with what that means and why it was established, could you share a little bit of insight into that regulation? 
Absolutely. And, it, you know, it's interesting, Hillary, it's uh, certainly not confined. The DSCSA law and the regulation I'm about to speak to, better known probably as track and trace or track and trace regulations, is a U.S.-based law that was passed by Congress in 2013. Interestingly, it truly is a global movement. Virtually every developed country has established some guidelines around how to track and maintain the integrity of the supply chain, especially around the critical drug supply chain, which, uh, which we face here in our country. And obviously with um, direct purchases, with importation, and unfortunately counterfeiting that takes place, getting arms around that supply chain internationally and the DSCSA here in the U.S. is absolutely crucial to patient safety. Yeah, thank you. And, and you know, I think back in 2013, if I can recall correctly, I, I do have a colleague that helped actually craft some of that language. She was uh, working on the Hill and as a pharmacist colleague, uh, Constance Payne, who was a has been on the podcast a couple couple episodes back, um, she was sharing that a lot of that stemmed from some of the meningitis outbreaks. Uh, and, you know, the congressional leaders were just trying to figure out how do they make sure that something like that doesn't happen again um, to where, you know, um, a product that enters the um, supply chain can potentially be contaminated. And then, of course, to some of the other um, issues that you spoke with, too, uh, regarding importation, et cetera. Absolutely. In fact, the law, the, the broader law, is called the Drug Quality and Security Act. And there were two parts of that law. To your point, the first part really addressed compounding and the issues that stem from that meningitis breakout, which was absolutely a devastating breakdown of the supply chain. The second aspect of it was a 10-year plan that focused on manufacturers, repackagers, wholesale distributors, dispensers, also known as pharmacies, and third-party logistic providers who might be following a, a pass-through or a third-party logistic uh, distribution role within the supply chain as it relates to the broader group of pharmaceuticals. So indeed, it, there were two parts of it. One was focused uh, on the compounding piece. And then the one we'll talk about today is the second portion, which really stemmed from that same 2013 law. And every there are various uh, dates and, and uh, uh, milestones that were developed as part of that. The first milestones were actually implemented in 2015, which affected dispensers, and they called that phase one, which was allowing pharmacies to verify that the trading partners they were doing business with were, in fact, legitimate trading partners and that they had that they were registered or licensed with the FDA or a, a state authority. And so. As you mentioned at the onset, perhaps some of the listeners to this podcast may not feel that they're deeply involved in the DSCSA law as of yet. In 2015, they became active. Whether they wanted to believe that or not, they were involved in it. 
The next milestone, however, is a 2020 deadline, which is looming. Um, we may think that 2019 just began, and I'm still writing 2018 on any of my correspondence. However, 2020 is right around the corner. And in November 2020, all dispensing pharmacies have to have the ability to process, track, and store pedigree details. And the pedigree details are pretty, uh, quite complex and require a mounting amount of storage space, primarily because the law says that the pharmacies are going to have to store this for six years on each and every product they receive. So in essence, um, that 2020 date, as I mentioned, is looming and it will require some different systems and some different repositories in order to keep and store that information. And attached to that, Hillary, for you and your listeners' benefit, is the FDA could at any point call back information, whether they're suspicious of activity in the supply chain or they're just doing a random audit of the supply chain or there was some other disruption that they needed to investigate. The requirement by dispensers as of November 2020 will be that within 20 to 48 hours, they need to recreate all of the required transaction level data about any suspect drug. So that's where that repository, it's one thing at home, I've got what I call a repository. It's also known as my junk drawer. Everything goes in there. Ask me to find a paperclip, it'll take me more than 24 hours. Looking for the paperclip among all of these pharmaceutical transactions that are made requires a pretty robust repository, to say the minimum. And finally, let me comment on the last date, which is the 2023 date. Now, if you recall, I mentioned this was part of a 10-year plan. So it was launched in 2013 with three phases. The first was implemented in 2015, the second going into effect 2020, and the last and final goes into effect 2023. And that November date suggests that at that point, an electronic system has to be in place across the supply chain, so including dispensers, that requires uh, 2D or, or two-dimensional barcode reading of the serialization of any drug. Uh, what that means is manufacturers are now serializing drugs. Some of the listeners on this podcast have probably received some product uh, that has now been generated within the last few years that comes through with a 2D symbol on it. And they're looking at it saying, I can kind of understand what's there, but I can't read it. Um, by 2023, the readers will have to be in place. And what they're asking for is an interoperable system, which basically means a uh, electronic exchange system that allows movement of information about these serialized products. And uh, it was interesting, even last week, the FDA announced a pilot program, Hillary, where they're uh, inviting any dispensers as well as uh, wholesalers, manufacturers, third parties like ourselves to participate in a pilot program to demonstrate that 
the interoperability of these systems, to include barcode reading, can be achieved by 2022. That was um, a lot of information, so I apologize if I sounded like an encyclopedia salesman. <laughs> well, Dave, there's certainly a lot to keep up with, and that's helpful to that you were able to focus in on some of the pharmacy requirements. And going back to what you mentioned, uh, uh, the regulation being called track and trace, uh, there are multiple points along the supply chain, T1, T2, and T3, uh, T1 being the manufacturer, T2 being the wholesale distributor, and T3 being on the pharmacy, which we've focused on so far. And as you mentioned, um, the manufacturers actually are the ones who are having to adhere to these time time crunches, I guess, uh, if you will, first. So since they're the first ones in the supply chain, they've got to adhere to some of those different types of, of uh, solutions. So speaking of regulations, are you aware of the 2014 Drug Disposal of Controlled Substances ruling, which requires safe and responsible medication disposal? Well, we are lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products that can save thousands in fines. If you would like to have more information on products, training, and medication waste compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Um, Dave, what are you seeing as, you know, you just mentioned there's a, an FDA pilot program. What are you seeing as some potential solutions for uh, solving for track and trace? I know blockchain has been mentioned as a possible solution, although I think since it's still a new and emerging technology, uh, what are you seeing in the marketplace as some solutions for pharmacies to start looking at to be able to um, meet these regulations? It's a, it's a terrific question, and they do come in various sizes, shapes, and forms, so I'll comment on a couple. I do want to just take one small step back on the T3 information or that transaction T1, T2, T3, uh, or TI, which is actually transaction information, is the, the information about what that particular drug is. So the TI is the lot number and the expiration date and the uh, strength, dosage, NDC. The second T and the T3 is actually transaction history, and that is the chain of command. Where was that product through the supply chain? If it originated with a manufacturer, went to a distributor, went to a buying group, back to a distributor, and then to a dispenser, that would all be contained in the TH or transaction history. And the last T is a transaction statement, which is an authorization that, that generally says the last person to receive this has the authority to distribute this product. So I just wanted to clarify that briefly because I although you're not incorrect that there are different cogs in this gear and the manufacturer and the wholesalers were the first to address this, the T3 information, those three elements of information, history, and uh, trading partner, could I didn't want to confuse the listeners. Regarding the different solutions out there, Hillary, one solution that may be perfect for a pharmacy 
could be that the pharmaceutical distributor, their primary distributor that they're working with, could in fact keep those records on behalf of that pharmacy. Now, there's a couple of things I would caution about that. One is, today, I find very few pharmacies that aren't working with multiple suppliers. Now, that's not to say they're working with multiple primary distributors, but they probably are buying some products as direct shipment from manufacturer. They may be getting some product through a secondary or tertiary wholesaler, and they could very well be getting a product from a repackager or a third-party logistics partner, all of which must provide this level of detail to them. So the primary distributor, 100% of purchases are through the primary distributor, and that, gear, that wholesaler suggests that they'll store that data for the required six years and make it available in that 24 to 48-hour window could be a perfect solution. So that's one to consider. A second is there are a number of, of solutions. They were largely written and originally implemented for the wholesale community, but they are repository type solutions, which basically says, I'm going to give you a place to store yourself. I'm going to give you a junk drawer to put all of your information into. There are a number of repository solutions out there, all of which have different bells and whistles attached to them, but largely their function is that of a repository. Uh, there are other solutions that handle the acceptance of the data and ask the pharmacy to build their own repository. So they're the front-end solution that says, hey, I can collect for you the transaction information, but you need to build some type of a database on the back end to store it. Uh, and that solution could exist. I would caution those that are looking as, at that as a, as a, a fail-safe solution because pharmacists are so busy today and likely IT and running an IT department is probably not high on their list. Mm -mm. The final solution or the one that we're actually at Hamaker Resource Group representing to the retail pharmacies kind of combines the best of all worlds we're looking at something that handles the front-end transactions, places that information into a six-year minimum repository, secure, safe, and dedicated for each pharmacy. And then thirdly, adds reporting and what I'll call intelligence to the system. And the intelligence in this case is twofold. It's a rules-based engine, smart engine, that starts to look at the kinds of things that could be awry with that chain of command. So as an example, if a quantity is incorrect along that supply chain movement of a product, the rules-based engine is going to pick that up and flag it. Another might be it doesn't have an NDC associated with it, or a lot number seems to be out of sync. In addition to the rules-based engine, the second part of the smart system that we have adds an auditor, an internal Hamaker person, literally is reviewing any of these rule-based flags that come up. And on behalf of our pharmacy clients, we'll be serving, we'll be striving to resolve that issue upstream. So if there is a quantity, uh, 
misalignment, our auditor will first call the end of the supplier who last touched the product to say, why is this quantity wrong? And then go upstream to the next cog in that, that wheel if necessary to try to resolve it before it hits the pharmacy doors. So that's, those are the four, four or so types of solutions that are out there today. And all of them, each of them have their unique advantages and disadvantages. But we did a pretty exhaustive search before we decided to jump into this track and trace arena and feel quite confident in the solution uh, that we've brought that meets those compliance requirements and provides that oversight and intelligence unlike any other system. Yeah, thanks, Dave, for reviewing some of those available options. And what's your general sense of the readiness of pharmacies, um, you know, as adopting some of those solutions so that they're ready for, um, you know, 2020 and, and when they've got to be able to comply with these regs? I'm sensing that from through conversations, Hillary, I'm sensing that there are a number of folks that are still waiting to decide what direction they'll want to take in order to meet that requirement. Um, on the independent pharmacy front, I've most often heard that they are uh, looking upstream to their primary distributor, which might become their partner in the track and trace. For a more sophisticated pharmacy that is indeed looking and, and providing or purchasing perhaps only 92 or 95% of their product through a distributor, they are looking for a more robust solution today. And I would say those are the forward-leaning pharmacists. But I've talked to, to mid-sized and even larger chains that are not exceedingly further ahead. They're still examining their options and they're still looking for the best way to, to put together a solution that meets these regulations. And, and the challenge, quite honestly, is as I said, 2020 feels far away. However, if not in place and tested and working by November of 2020 and an auditor happened to walk in and not be met with the obligations that that pharmacist have, there, there are purported uh, penalties that are going to follow that. Um, specifically in the law, it says failure to comply to the DCSA, DC, DSCSA guidelines is a prohibited act according to section 206 and failure to bear the product identifier uh, could result in a criminal investigation with heavy fines, license suspensions, and imprisonment. I never like to swing a bat to say this is the way to, to move people off the dime and start putting a solution in place. However, the revocation of a license or the disruption to business or workflow, or the risk of heavy fines is reason enough for me to encourage my pharmacy friends to start looking for a solution now rather than before it's too late. Wow. Yeah, that is a very alarming consequence. Uh, so we, we certainly want to make sure that pharmacists are aware of those 
implications. Uh, they're very severe. So yeah, they yeah, all at the same time, Hillary. And I, you know, the, the the really yes, the fines are daunting. Sure. But I also believe that from a patient uh, commitment to ensure the patient patient's safety with the prescriptions being dispensed, and to really to provide the assurance and 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 confidence to their patient base. The pharmacists owe it to themselves, not only to put a good solution in place, but if I had a pharmacy today, I would broadcast to my patient base that I'm prepared, that I am tracking on their behalf the safety and efficacy of every single drug according to the law. Now, it goes without saying today, but the first time a headline hits, every patient in America is going to stand back on their heels and say, I wonder if my pharmacy is compliant. Yeah, no, I think that that's a great point, Dave. Um, you know, we're seeing issues with importation of drugs. We're probably up on our 30 minutes, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be involved in today's podcast. Great. Thanks so much for being a guest. I hope this episode enlightened you on the upcoming requirements for DSCSA and provided you with some resources so that you can make sure that your pharmacy is ready to be in compliance with these new regs. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. And a special thanks to our sponsor again, TheraWorks Relief, which is available in most pharmacies across the country, and it is flying off the shelves here in Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.